Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie Winnipeg Jets post-draft show live from the Bell Centre, or Centre Bell. How is that, Hugo? How is it? Very good. Very I'm joined good. by... Hugo is my cameraman here when we were in Montreal. Absolutely phenomenal guy. This is Priyanta. She is my producer. Phenomenal people I am very lucky to work with. And uh, Hugo guides me through my choppy, you know, attempts at, at speaking French. I love it. It's great here. Sends me to good places to eat. Great town. Uh, but yeah, we're going to get out of here. I know that we had originally said Mark Hillier was going to join us last minute. He wasn't able to do that. Uh, so we're going to have Mike McIntyre from the Free Press is going to join us in a little bit of time here. And we're also going to have Murat Atesh from The Athletic. Uh, you know, some of the Winnipeg crew that was down here to kind of break down what we've seen from a very interesting draft. Winnipeg Jets have been one of the teams that seems to have, you know, given away their draft picks in years past as they were chasing success uh, in the present. Um, did a good job. You know, we all know about the Andrew Kopp trade and what that did, uh, allowing them to get a very, very intriguing prospect at the end of uh, at the at the end of the first round. I mean, I think if a couple of years ago, kind of before everything blew up. If we would have seen Brad Lambert uh, ending up in a Winnipeg Jets jersey um, and be the second first-round pick at that time, I think we would have been blown away. We'll get into all that, but first, if we're going to get into it, we got to get into it with a guy who loves to get into it. That's our main man, Kenny. Let's bring him in. Great to see you, my friend. Uh, I, I Sometimes, you know, you want to gauge how people did give, like, draft grades and stuff like that. I was going to ask what the best performance of the weekend you thought was, but that's a rhetorical question. Clearly, that was you, Eric Engel's brother, Kyle Bukowskis, and Elliot Friedman taking down that tomahawk steak that was the size of like, a tractor seat the other night. People, you had to see this thing. It was like... If you if you go on Elliot Friedman's uh, Instagram account, there's a picture of Ken holding the bone from the tomahawk steak that was required to come with all that meat. It was something else impressive. No one knows how to live on the road quite like Ken Weave, and I suspect we're going to see some more of that tonight. But Ken, how's the week been for you here so far? Oh, it's been fantastic. A very similar vibe to what we saw at the Stanley Cup Final. The opportunity to see many of our friends that we haven't seen for three years. I mean, the draft's been virtual for the last two years. Haven't been together since Vancouver. Uh, it's been fantastic. There's been great buzz. I mean, we'll get into it a little bit more, Sean. But uh, great to see everybody and just the vibe in the arena. I mean, we'll, we'll, let's get into that right now. I mean, the atmosphere inside and out. Uh, was unbelievable, Sean. And then the atmosphere was still going well after midnight when we left the building, when we ran into some fans with the Right Choice t-shirts, the Shane Wright uh, fan club. Uh, it was such an interesting start of the draft with Yuri Slavkovsky going number one and Shane Wright falling to four. Uh, a lot of vibe and buzz in the building. I mean, it's just been great. I mean, we've heard Kevin Cheveldale, we've heard coaches, we've heard players talk about the vibe. Uh, it's just great to see what's been happening, and uh, we'll dive into the atmosphere of the week a little bit more later on. But uh, let, let's get right into, as you mentioned, those two first-round picks by the Jets. Uh, Rutger McGroarty is a guy that I wondered might be their second. Like you said, I mean, if you would have said a year ago that Brad Lambert would be the second choice, uh, I think a lot of people would be thrilled. We just spoke with Mark Hillier. Uh, in the scrum about Brad Lambert and hey he was as candid as Brad Lambert was saying if Lambert had a good year he wouldn't have been there at 30. If Brad Lambert had played more than two games at the World Junior before it shut down because of COVID he wouldn't have been there but I think it was pretty clear I mean he didn't he wasn't saying it was a done deal but it sounded like Mark Hillier would like to see Brad Lambert suit up for the Seattle Thunderbirds in the Western Hockey League after that team acquired his rights and it seemed as though Lambert himself was open to that. So 
The fact that the Jets have another one of their draft picks in Tyrell Bauer as the captain of the Seattle Thunderbirds, and from speaking to some of our scouting friends, it's obvious that the Seattle Thunderbirds are going to be one of the best teams in the Western Hockey League next season. So I think it would be a great situation for him to be in. But let's get into McGroarty a little bit too, Sean. This is something you and I have discussed a lot, and Mark Hillier basically echoed what we were talking about. The Jets do not have an abundance. They have a massive shortage when it comes to power forwards in the organization. And even though McGroarty is going to the University of Michigan, and we anticipate we'll spend at least a year there and possibly multiple years, I mean, this is at least two years. Exactly. So this is a guy the Jets don't have a lot of. We're talking all about his leadership abilities, his physical nature. But Mark was quite frank in saying, hey, guys, those things are all true and all factors. This guy scored 53 goals last year at the variety of levels he played at. Um, and it was also the captain of the UA team, Team USA club. So I think this is a brilliant pick by the Jets. A bit of a riser, I guess. So the Jets got a riser a little bit in McGroarty and a guy who dipped like Lambert. I mean, I love Lambert's response, saying, as quickly as I fell, I'm going to rise next year. I believe in my skills. The Jets obviously believe he's the best pure skater in the entire draft class. Uh, he's very, both players very confident, but also very self-aware. And I think self-awareness, that was the quality that stood out to me. Obviously, McGrady is a passionate individual, but man, oh man, the self-awareness. And when his, play, when his fellow teammates went on Christmas vacation, McGrady went and worked out with Barb Underhill, his skating coach. So this guy has identi identified the deficiency in his game. But Mark Hillier also saying today, Sean, that when the puck's on his stick, he's a better skater than maybe when it isn't. So he knows what he can do when he gets to speed. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you this. It, it, I always find this interesting because, and the Jets have said this for years, they take the best player uh, on their list. Uh, they've always done that. They don't, they don't uh, you know, bring in a player. They don't draft a player based on position, um, but they like to go for the best player on their list. But there has to be an overarching theme of what you are looking for and who you want to be as a team. And this is, you're right, the Jets are deficient here. We've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast. Jets, you know, Paul Marie said he wanted to do it. Dave Lowry said he wanted to do it. I'm sure that it's going to be, uh, you know, something that Rick Bonus wants to get this team to. But they got to get to the front of the net and score goals from the front of the net. We've talked about this before. The Jets are a team that are able to score from distance, and they love to score from distance. The problem with that is scoring from distance. Those are easy goals. Those are goals where you don't have to go to the hard areas of the ice. And the Jets don't go to the hard areas of the ice enough. So they end up getting a player who does exactly that. Um, I think when you've got that type of player, I always go back to uh, Milan Lucic played, um, uh, I think it was like a super series. Do you remember that? There was a game in Winnipeg. He was fighting for Team Canada when they were young. Claude Giroux was on the team as well. Uh, Kyle Turris was on that team. They came rolling through Winnipeg around, I think it was 2008, 2009 or something like that. And I saw Milan Lucic play. And I thought to myself, this guy is a beast. He's phenomenal. Too bad he's never going to play in the NHL because he can't skate fast enough to do it. But in the end, if you go to the hard areas and that's where you spend your time, sometimes you don't need to be the best skater. And you can survive not being the best skater in the NHL if you're going into an area where you can't be skating freely through it anyway, right? So I love that they did this. I, I it, The one thing that I thought was interesting is I would have really liked to have had Mark Hillier on the show because I wanted to ask this question. If the Jets maybe are changing their philosophy on how they approach the draft and the kind of players that they're looking for, Probably didn't. They probably knew they needed a little bit of this. Going and trading for Morgan Barron, I think, was a sign that they've recognized that. You know my theory on this. I've thought that the Jets, while they draft really well, I think they draft the same player over and over and over and over again. Speed, skill, great shot. I, I make it sound like it's a bad thing. It's not. But if that's the one dimension that you have over and over again, you need to add other dimensions. You know, I like this pick. I like Rutger McGordy going because he he fills this exact need that you get. And really, with Brad Lambert, they returned 
right back to, to what we're talking about, the speed, the skill. Like you said, fastest player or best skater. They believe he is in the draft. I take a look at this guy, and I think there's shades of Nick Ehlers in this player. Um, I, the, the one thing I find really interesting, Ken, as I was talking to some of my Finnish sources about what they thought went wrong with Brad Lambert, and you heard Mark Hillier talk about it. He didn't come out as bluntly to talk about it, but he, he somewhat addressed it. It was a bad year for Brad Lambert, but it, but what I'm told is the Finnish media believes that he was in a bad situation. And yeah. it's a little bit of his own doing. It's where he chose to go, but where he chose to go was not a good decision for his development. So what's happening here is the Winnipeg Jets are betting that if they can grab him and take him out of that situation, like you said, get him to a place like Seattle, which would absolutely love to have him, that you can kind of maybe see that this wasn't a player that was trending down it was a player that got locked up in a bad situation and that he's just going to resume his upward motion once he gets into the right situation i find it funny because i do think one of the things that the jets do really really well is they get they draft players that have momentum that are on an upwards arc think of mark shifley he's the ultimate pick right took a guy really really high uh, in a situation that a lot of people probably thought he shouldn't have gone that high, but they take him because Mark Shifley had been nowhere and was doing this, whereas a guy like Eugene Hopkins at the top of that draft was doing this, you know, and had been so high he was going like that for a while. But see you later, guys. Um, uh, anyways, I just think it, it's, it's a little out of character for the Winnipeg Jets to go for a guy like Brad Lambert because Brad Lambert start was on the rise and then it hit a ceiling and has gone nowhere for some time. And you can see scouts don't like that. It's the same reason that Shane Wright did not go first overall because right. all the players around him were seemed to be on an upwards tra trajectory and scouts believe that whether it had to do with COVID and the shutdowns, Shane Wright's development kind of plateaued. And that's why he dropped. So the Brad Lambert is a little bit risky. It reminds me somewhat of Christian Veselainen, who a lot of players, you know, a lot of scouts thought would, had the capability of going higher up in the draft. But there were some issues that kind of had him plateaued. So I'm interested to see how this goes. I'll tell you this. What I saw from him the first time I saw him at the World Juniors, I thought he was going top five in this draft, maybe even yeah. top three. So to get him at 30, I think this is, if you're looking for a project, and you can if you're the Jets, if you've got two first-round picks, why not swing for the fences on the other one and go for the player that some people see as risky? I think it was very good asset management by the Winnipeg Jets. Great job in the first round. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, it, it, we talked about this going into the draft, Sean. It's a lot like 2015, right, where the Jets had 17 and 25. Kyle Connor drops to them at 17, and then they go out and get Jack Rozovic, who is a little bit of a jumper, even though we knew a team like the Montreal Canadiens were interested in potentially drafting him at the end of the first round. So it's not a direct parallel, but it's an opportunity to add two really good forwards to prospect pool that has been diminished. Most of their top-end prospects that are not playing in Russia have already graduated. So you have a chance to bring in two guys into the system, as you mentioned. I mean, one of them, I, I'm gonna, let, let me start here. Like To your point about Lambert, I asked Mark Hillier directly, how do you find that balance between being cautious about the warts that showed up in Brad Lambert's game, between reminding yourself that he was once a projected top five pick and he gave a great answer. I don't know if cautious is the right word, but we do our homework, right? We do as much as we can on the background, what the different scenarios are, what's happened to him over the past year, what's he got going into. At the end of the day, if you're comfortable, there's always a little risk, but there's always a reward. So we think the reward outweighs the risk, and that's why we made the pick. And, you know, I think you asked him about the skating for McGroarty. Mark Hillier said if they didn't think he could play in the NHL at, and skate at that level, they would have never drafted him. I mean, you're not using a 14th overall selection on a maybe, right? I mean, you can't afford to do that. They know how hard the player is working at the deficiency. And you touched on the way that he gets to the net. When I asked what kind of goal scorer he is and what he's known for, yeah, yeah he has a great one-timer. The first thing Mark Hillier said, he gets to the dirty areas. Yeah. That's what this team needs. So I think those are two great picks. And we'll get into more of the day two action uh, shortly here. But I'm with you. I mean, 
I don't think they necessarily went out and said they had to get this kind of a player, but the fact they added two really good forward prospects in a year that they had to trade one of their best forward prospects and Nathan Smith to the Arizona Coyotes to get out of Brian Little's LTIR situation, man, it's hard to envision the first round having gone any better for the Jets, don't you yeah. think? Uh, I, I entirely agree. I will touch on this, uh, and Mikey, uh, Mike McIntyre is waiting for us, so I'm just going to make this one last point based on what you had uh, said right before we went there. I do, I do think that the Winnipeg Jets went out of their way to draft this kind of player. I do think they went out and situationally said, we need more of this, because the one thing that I find is fascinating, Ken, is if you look at the U.S. national development team from 21-22, yeah. so take a look at this. Isaac Howard led the team in scoring 37 points. Logan Cooley's next with 36 points. Frank Nazard, third with 35 points. Rucker McGordy next with 33 points. Lane Hudson next with 32 points. Like, this is very much a situation where what these players were able to produce is kind of online. Like, no, no one is standing out. There's not a guy who walked away and had 12 more points than everybody else on this team. It's just they all bring very different skill sets and different tool, tool sets to, to, to how they get to the results that they get. So I do very much think that this was one of these things where if you want to take a player from, from this program, and we know the Jets love going the American route. We know that. That's their history tells us they love doing that. But this was very much a situation where you were looking at, at you know, the same result over and over again you're looking at the same product but i like this color more i like the, the you know the little option that this thing has right it's like it's like the same car five times over but i want one that's got you know that that is turbocharged i want one that's got yeah. the lift kit on it they basically went out and were like kind of finding the same players with the same results but trying to find one that kind of fit their needs more. So I do think that's what the Jets did because to your point, a lot of people thought that Rucker McGrory was more likely to go at the end of the first round because of yeah. the skating issue that you're talking about. So I think that there's a feeling a lot, you know, a lot of the other players that I just mentioned on that team may be more wizards with the puck, but the Jets are going to go get a guy who can do things a specific way. I think they needed that. I don't mind it. I don't mind uh, uh, drafting for a need if you, you're still kind of getting the same thing as you would everywhere else, it's like there's more than one way to skin a cat, and they found a different way to do it here. Um, let's get at it and uh, bring in Mike McIntyre. Really appreciate him joining the show here. Bring him in right now. Let's just start off, Mike. Uh, we're talking first round. Um, what, what do you, what's your takeaway from this first round? How do you think the Jets did? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, guys, that there's some talk out there that, you know, well, the Jets certainly made off well in the first round. They might have been able to actually get those two guys by reversing the picks, at least if you look where they were projected maybe a few months ago, that Lambert might have been the guy they're grabbing at, at 14 and McGrady uh, down at, in the 30 spot. In any event, I think you're right. They've added two really interesting prospects to the pipeline, two very different players um, who I think, you know, uh, they're obviously not going to help the Jets this coming season. Uh, but really, uh, nobody in this draft was going to fit that bill. This is about building the pipeline, uh, getting the uh, the prospect depth a little deeper than it has been, especially on the forwards, which we've seen so many of their forwards graduate to the NHL. They needed to replenish that system. And I think they've done a, a real nice job of adding some some very different kind of players here uh, to the mix, uh, ones that you know could be really unique prospects down the road. Technical issues are we having? Wake up, Ken. You're still... You're up. You're, you're sorry. up, Ken. What's the question? Sorry. You muted me and I lost, I lost I lost, balance there. You're up. You're up. It's time for you to ask What's the question. What's the question? <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, Mike, let's go to day two. I mean, what maybe stands out? I mean, obviously, the, thing that, the other thing about McGroarty was the personality. And it seems as though the personality was something that was also on display by several of the Jets draft picks on day two. Right. Yeah, I mean, What stands so out to you on that side of things? Purely from a journalistic perspective, Kenny, I mean, I, I don't have any rooting interest, to be frank. I don't care if the Jets win or lose. It doesn't affect my day-to-day. -day. 
fact, in a lot of ways, it's a lot more interesting to cover the team when things aren't going well. That being said, I'm a Winnipegger, and obviously it's nice when locals are happy and things are going well. But I judge I judge the Hall uh, on a purely selfish level. Did they get some good talkers? Did they get some good personalities, some good stories? And my goodness, the Jets have no shortage of those. I mean, Brad Lambert is obviously a fascinating story. His family, a lot of his family from Saskatchewan, but he was born in Finland. Obviously, the huge expectations, and he falls. He'll be a fun story to kind of follow. Rucker McGrory, I mean, this guy, as we saw yesterday, his personality just shines. He seems like a guy that is probably going to become a fan favorite with uh, with the Jets. We may see a lot of McGrory sweaters in a few years from now down at Canada Life Center. And then you look at some of the guys they grabbed today. I mean, Danny Zilkin, uh, tremendous story, right? Comes to Canada at nine years old from Moscow and never goes back to Russia. This is a guy who, you know, plays in the Greater Toronto Hockey League. Um, some real personality to him as well. Garrett Brown, his dad, you know, Curtis Brown played over 700 games in the NHL. And then the last guy, certainly not least, uh, goalie, Dominic. Dominic the goalie. This guy's personality just jumps off the charts. You know, there's, there's some Eric Comrie to him, I think, that we saw. A guy that, you know, just just bubbly, outgoing personality and a real appreciation uh, to get drafted and to be part of the Jets organization. So there's some real nice stories. And, you know, when you look at the overall mix here, four forwards, two defensemen, a goalie, you know, two Canadians, two Swedes, two Americans, a Finn. I think there's a real nice mix here. And, of course, it'll be some years before we can judge, you know, the success or failure of this particular draft class. But uh, from a story and personality perspective, I give it an A+. Mikey, you uh, you touched on it, and I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to kind of get into this a little bit. You know, most kids on their draft day, they're happy to be drafted, right? right. It's, a, it's a pretty obvious. But the one thing about McGrory was he looked – ecstatic when he yeah. got called his name got called by the jets and then it continued on he went afterwards and this is a guy who looked like he was like oh my god i'm a winnipeg jet and then you touched on it and i'm going to try and be brave here and be the first one to take a stab at their last pick's name dominic divincentis i believe is how you pronounce it how you, you guys feel free to grade me golf club me golf like. club I golf club um, but this was when we're talking about the atmosphere, we should get in and talk yeah. a little bit more about the atmosphere of this place, but just off to the right of the stage or stage, stage, right. Um, Dominic DiVincenta's family was there. It's, it's the last round pick. He right. gets called and the arena in that area explodes. He had a lot of friends, a lot of family here, but this was a guy who is beyond excited to be a Winnipeg Jet. And then you get Brad Lambert, who I think is a guy who's like, you know, it, it, that's a guy that you're going to get. The fact that you believe in him yeah. when he's fallen the way he has, I think that builds up some gratitude. I think the Jets, this is going to be my take. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. I think the Jets did a really good job of going after people who want to be Winnipeg Jets with everything they have just right off the start, which is something phenomenal to have after a year that you lost Nathan Smith. Well, I think they've gone after guys who are students of the game, who are going to put in the work. I mean, again, Rucker McGrory, one story stands out that Kevin Shevoldayoff told yesterday, and that is, you know, his team last year, they had a break and the players could kind of go where disperse for a few days of R&R and a lot of players on his team, you know, they might have gone to, to beaches or whatnot. Rucker McGrory went north to Toronto to work with Barb Underhill, who is probably the best skating coach that you could have. And this is a guy, you know, who recognizes that that's one area that he really needs to work on. And so he spent his days off working at a, a deficit. That's obviously a great sign. He, he was the captain of the under 18 team. You know, there's clearly leadership qualities to this guy and, and those become quite evident. Um, you know, and, and I think he had a huge following of, of family, uh, you know, here at the rink here in Montreal and just tells you, you know, it takes a village, right? Well, he had his village with him. 
Uh, Danny Zilkin, another great story. Like this is a guy, he's working with Gary Roberts. And we know there's a lot of NHL players who have touted their time with Gary Roberts as what's really put them over the edge. And so when you hear these stories of players, you know, that are already at a very young age, so committed to their craft, um, you get the sense, and, and this goes to what Marty St. Louis said as he got up on stage, and what a great message for all these kids yesterday from arguably the greatest undrafted or one of the greatest undrafted players of all time to get up there, now the coach of the Habs, but to say, this is not the end, this is just the start, and even if you don't get drafted, uh, don't give up on that dream. But for those of you that are drafted, um, you know, this is not the time to kind of put your feet up and, and relax. And I think the Jets got a number of players here just in what we saw from them and heard from them, that they recognize that this is just the next phase. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, you know, how these players now develop over the next few years and which ones eventually are Winnipeg Jets. Ken, Tell two. I mean, this you is... go. Sorry, sorry, Ken, just before you go, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors before we go too far. Yeah. Uh, starting with the, the Johnston group uh, who um, have been with us, you know, right from the beginning. They've been helping us out. They are a Winnipeg owned and operated company that provides employee benefit solutions to companies from one employee to 10,000 or more. Over 30,000 Canadian businesses trust Johnston Group with their employee benefit needs through various products, including the Chambers Plan, Maximum Benefit and Sign Up. Johnston Group is a platinum member of Canada's best managed companies and named one of Manitoba's top employers. Whether you are a sole proprietor, part of a large organization or an association with thousands of employees, Johnson Group has an employee benefit solution for you. And I also want to give a heads up and a shout out to the Cambrian Credit Union. Uh, one of the reasons we're proud to work with Cambrian Credit Union is their purpose to save their members time and money. With Cambrian's payoff loan, you wrap up all your debt into one easy monthly payment and get debt free sooner. See how you can save thousands on interest with their payoff debt calculator. Visit cambrian.mb.ca slash payoff loan for details. Individual results may vary on approved credit only. Ken, uh, take it away. One of the things we learned, I tell a quick story. I mean, uh, Garrett Brown is the son of Curtis Brown, longtime San Jose Shark and Nate Keller. I was just saying to Mike, Sean, that when the Pembroke Valley Hawks were lucky enough to play in the Max Tournament uh, when I was 15 or 16 years old, our first game was against Moose Jaw, and I think Curtis Brown lit us up for about five points in that one. I think he had three and two for five. Um, interesting, the dynamic, Mike, with having fathers who played professionally or in the NHL like Curtis Brown did. Um, obviously with McGrory, his dad was a coach. Great story that he told about as a three-day-old, he went to his first playoff game with his mother. Um, you have a guy who now is the GM of the Muskegon Lumberjacks, and then you have Leo Lambert's dad played pro for a long, long time. Um, I mean, Mark Hillier touched on it a little bit about the bloodlines, but what do you think of that element here about having guys who are around the game, those, the bloodline factor with this year's draft class? And also the interesting connection between Dominic, the goalie, and McGroarty having lived together a little bit uh, in the last year, during that uh, previous uh, pandemic season. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the hockey world can sometimes be a real small one, right? And when you, you get these dots that connect... Uh, as they did in in this case between the the first and the seventh round picks that to find out that these guys were actually on some teams together um in their earlier years um uh, and then were roommates last year kind of during the pandemic just uh you know real neat neat stories i don't think uh, clearly the jets weren't even aware of that until after the fact but i'm sure it doesn't hurt again when it comes to building goodwill you want to find guys that want to be in the organization um, and when you have players that, that you know, have, in some cases, some, um, some natural NHL bloodlines, they've been around the game, they've been in dressing rooms before, they have, you know, parents that can be sounding boards when things are going tough. And I think we heard those themes emerge from some of these players that that has really helped them along the way. And I think, you know, when you're checking off all these boxes of what makes a good pro, certainly to have that background that you had a father in, in Brown's case that played in the NHL, that doesn't hurt. Um, not to say that that is the deciding, you know, factor that, that, that is why the Jets drafted the player, but again, it, it can't hurt. Um, and, you know, I think 
look, you always have to have one eye on the the present and another eye on the future. Obviously, the draft is a lot more about that future. Um, I know there's some comments out there. I, I've got some messages, you know, Jets didn't help themselves this, this season. Well, that wasn't what the draft was. They weren't getting anybody here in Montreal that they were going to bring back to Winnipeg who's going to help them win a single game this coming fall. The idea, of course, is that the guys they picked today and yesterday, the hope is that in a few years from now, they're part of that next foundation. And, you know, I, I think these other questions clearly are going to have to be addressed regarding the immediate future as we head into free agency next week, kind of a topic for another day. Uh, but for anybody who thought that the Jets, you know, were there was some going to be some magic fix here to anything that currently ails them, no, that's not the case. And it's clear the Jets got some really interesting prospects. They got some talent. They got some some diversity. And, you know, they have a, a pipeline now. And we saw it with the Manitoba Moose and, and the deep team that they had and the playoff run they went on. I think after maybe some lean years, guys, that they're back to having a, a, a prospect pipeline that is something to, if you're a Jets fan and the organization, to be kind of excited about. Um, Mikey, uh, you were just kind of talking about, you know, this not being the time for, the, you know, it definitely didn't turn out that way for the Jets to make trades. Right. I want to talk about that quickly because I actually got some interesting information from some of the GMs on the floor after it all wrapped up here. But before we get to that, I just wanted you guys to help me handle this. I was going to touch on this. Uh, someone, I think, included all of us in a tag on Twitter the other day asking about this. Uh, Joe from Winnipeg says, I can't wait till Winnipeg gets to host an NHL draft. It'll be a sellout. It's my understanding... And tell me if this has changed. Uh, someone suggested that True North Square changed this. But it's my understanding that Winnipeg can't host big NHL events, a.k.a. the draft or the All-Star game, because there's not enough NHL-level capacity hotel uh, or lodgings to handle all the players, agents, uh, team executives that come into town. That's my understanding, that Winnipeg can't even apply for that. Is that your understanding, guys? It is, yeah. Plus, we don't have an air. We don't have an airport, right, Sean? Right. Yeah. Well, for sure. And like the Wi-Fi. We learned no, the other day the Wi-Fi no wasn't thing. very good. <laughs> there's no such thing as a direct flight out of Winnipeg. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I've I've seen a lot of this. I've seen a lot of people talking about this over the last little while, and you know, trying to you know build up the excitement or asking if True North has asked or put their name in for this. I don't think the city of Winnipeg is capable by the expectations that are set out for what a draft city or an all-star city should have as far as amenities are concerned. Winnipeg doesn't have them. So uh, it's it's not even a question of, of them pushing for it. They, they, they don't have, it's like, hey, you, you may want to drive that car, but if there's no wheels on the car, you're not taking it. The one thing, though, Sean, I would say that maybe with the building of the Sutton Place, like maybe once the Sutton Place gets built downtown as part of True North Square, that may get them up to the standards. I'm not 100% sure. But what I would also say, I would say it's much more likely that Jets, once they get into the position to be able to do so, would prefer to host a draft rather than the All-Star game, unless there's significant change to how the All-Star festivities are are unfolding. Yeah, yeah, like... Like the All Star Game isn't held in January. Who wants to come to Winnipeg in January, guys? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Not... I don't want to be in Winnipeg in January. Never mind a multi million dollar NHL player. Yeah, uh, you one guys quick are one. Always, when those road trips happen, you guys have your hands up like yeah. this. Let me go. Let me go. What's that, Ken? Just a quick one. We should touch on. Uh, it's, we've gone thirty three minutes, and we on Elias Saul. Uh, who's also another one of those intriguing prospects, Mike. And part of that diversity, we know the left side of the Jets' uh, organizational depth is quite strong. Uh, adding two guys in Brown and also Solomonson, that is a right-hand shot. Uh, he told us today that he'll be spending, he has a two-year contract to play um, with Skeleftia in Sweden. Right. Uh, what do you think of his game? Because initially, when I was looking at him and thinking, well, this guy's you know, 6'1", 173, he started talking about Adam Larson. I was like, this guy looks like more more skilled. But then Mark Hillier also doubled down by saying he's got a feistiness to his game. I mean, what the, this is a guy the Jets game won't see for probably at least three years. But what stood out about A, talking to the player, and B, hearing Mark Hillier talk about the player? Yeah, the exact quote, I've got it here in front of me, Kenny, is he said he plays with an edge and some sandpaper to him, hard hitter. Uh, so... You know, hey, can always can always use that skill, those skills in the NHL. 
uh, and maybe not something we expected to hear about the player. But you're right, considering that he compared himself to Adam Larson, who is known as a real physical player, a uh, guy who obviously went very high in, in his draft year. Uh, that was an interesting comparable. And then to hear Mark Hillier follow up on that, I uh, did say that he's also a really good skater. In fact, Kenny, he said, I'd call him almost an elite skater. And he, he then went on to describe him as a puck moving defenseman. So it sounds like they got, it, it's a big toolbox potentially for this player. Uh, if he can be an elite skater, but also with sandpaper and a hard hitter, um, you know, there's some intrigue there. And you're right. You know, we're not going to see him uh, for some time. Uh, he, he's actually only 17. He won't even be 18, I believe, until the fall or until late August. Um, and he's going to go play at least the next couple of years in, in the top Finnish men or Swedish men's league. But yeah, some real upside there. And, you know, again, when you look at the Jets' blue line, they, they can afford to, to have maybe more of a project uh, because they have a number of guys that are very close, if not currently ready to take that next step. So a guy that might be two or three years away from even kind of starting to make an impact here, they got all the time in the world. And when you hear what this player can do, uh, you know, a re real interesting prospect for sure. Um, I want to get back to talking about the trade situation. So uh, it sounds to me um, from from some uh, guys I talked to on the floor before we started the show here um, that there was an expectation that there was going to be more trades, uh, more movement. I, I think that I'd seen that. I think there was an expectation that Darcy Kemper's um, rights were going to be traded for a later round pick. Uh, because the, the goalie market is 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 tight yeah. and tight and tight, right? And so um, I, I know that there is a feeling now with the GMs that they're really going to be watching what happens over the next couple of days. And some people think it could be really busy. Now, clearly I heard that from a source who said that he was going to sit back and watch what happened over the coming days. So if he's not going to be busy, that's one thing. But they, they, they think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, balls in the air. Um, there's a lot of cap crunches that I think uh, teams feel like they need to try and trade their way out of. That's something to watch for for the next couple of days. But if the ball gets rolling on that kind of stuff, what's the expectation that we could see the Jets doing something before we get to free agency, Mike? Yeah, I, I, I'd be surprised, frankly, Sean, if the Jets don't make a couple moves before free agency because I think the reasons you just outlined i mean cap space is tight um cap space is very valuable um certainly a name like brendan Dillon was a guy i think maybe a lot of us came here to montreal thinking that something might happen on that front and obviously blake wheeler is a name that's very much out there and when you're talking about potential cap relief um that that's a whopper right well obviously nobody got moved here so far in montreal you wonder, and obviously the GMs of you know, this draft being back in person for the first time in three years, we, we all saw it. There's a lot more networking that was going on here these last couple days than, than there was during the Zoom era. So while maybe there weren't deals that were finalized here, you do wonder if some of them were consummated and if we're going to see the results you know, in the next couple days start to play out. But I think if you're the Jets, this is a big big offseason and so far they've hired a coach not the guy they tried to get uh, and now they made a bunch of draft picks which as we pointed out are not going to help them immediately now that the draft is quickly going to be in the rearview mirror I think they have to Kevin Chevaldeoff has to turn his attention to the current state of his club and we know based on what played out last year they're not good enough and so what is he planning to do about it? It certainly sets you know, the stage for what could, and I say should be, an interesting next few days around here leading into free agency next Wednesday. Because we know, guys, the Jets are not a marquee landing spot when it comes to you know, big name free agents. And we don't expect them to be taking big runs at any big names next Wednesday. I think the trade market is the more likely path if the Jets are looking to do something with the roster immediately 
that it would be the trade market. Obviously, the, the draft didn't end up playing a factor in that. You know, they didn't package any draft picks up to turn them into anything, nor did the Jets turn any current assets into draft picks. But I don't think we should be surprised by that. The Jets, again, they're trying to build for the future, but they're also trying to help the cause now. And I think that's where the attention will turn here in the coming days. Yeah, a quick couple quick things on the goalie market, guys. I love the move by the Colorado Avalanche to get Georgiev from the New York Rangers. Obviously, Kemper did a great job in winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, just but you know, under tough circumstances, the eye injury and everything else. But you're getting a player at a lower dollar value, and you're going to have longer term in terms of where he stands. It also would allow them to be re-signed Val Nichushkin, maybe. Manson around instead of having to pay Kemper six million plus or whatever it was going to cost, um, and then you go over to the Minnesota Wild who stabilized the. I mean, Cam Talbot had a great year, All Star year, but Mark Andre Fleury has stabilized the goalie position with the Minnesota Wild at a time where they are in a tough cap situation. But that also yeah. means Cam Talbot now suddenly becomes a guy that I would have to expect to be moved. Don't you both agree? Uh, but then a quick one. I want to tackle this. Eric Comrie, to me. I think there's still a chance Eric Comrie is, and I would say a better than average chance that Comrie is back with the Winnipeg Jets. But the fact that it has not been taken care of, an offer has been made to Eric Comrie. I think he is too close to free agency to sign a deal without getting to find out what the market is like for his services. He loves Winnipeg. He loves the organization. But I think there are some other situations, and I would also say too, maybe the New York Rangers being one of them after moving Georgiev, where they might be looking at giving Eric Comrie some stability, maybe in a two or three year deal to be the backup to Igor Shesterkin. Obviously, Comrie would like to play more than he did last year, but that would also be a situation that would have some potential intrigue. That's a team on the rise. You know you're probably still going to be getting in that 20-plus start range. But if the Jets are bringing back Eric Comrie, he needs to be starting 25-plus games next year. So, Mike, just a quick one to you. Where, where do you think things stand with Eric Comrie in terms of him maybe being back as the backup? Or might the Jets have to look elsewhere if a team like the Rangers makes a, a bigger offer? I'm with you, Kay. I think the fact that they haven't re-signed him as we sit here on Friday afternoon um, that's got to be making the Jets brass a little nervous because I think, frankly, they thought they'd have resigned him by now, and that was obviously the hope. Um, because I think they, they they certainly value Eric Comrie, and we saw, especially last year, as the more he played, the better he seemed to play. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, to be able to spell Connor Hellebuck off, to be a perfect guy to work with Connor Hellebuck. Um, you know, that's not an easy thing, and they have a great guy in Eric Comrie, but you're right, based on the current market, I got to think Eric Comrie's agent is whispering in his ear like, hey, you know what? The longer this goes and the thinner the market gets, the potential, you know, the more your price goes up. And that's got to be making the Jets nervous because kind of like with Barry Trotz, I don't know what their plan B is if they can't re-sign Eric Comrie. Um, you know, and, and we know that they have a finite amount of money that they want to spend on the backup goalie position. The last thing the Jets want to do is have to have the old per diem buster on, on a backup and spend more money than they had allocated because maybe they have to go out now and, and do something that they hadn't expected to have to do. Or on the other hand, bring in a completely unproven commodity and and now really put all your eggs in the Connor Hellebuck basket and hope that he can stay healthy and he can you know play as much as you want. But again, I think we recognize that Connor Hellebuck can't play and shouldn't play 70 games a year if you want to maximize what you get. I think the Jets have Kenny, what was it? 13 back-to-backs on, on next year's schedule. Like, that's 13 games right there where you probably want to play your backup. Um, so it's it's going to be something really interesting to watch. And you're right, given what's going on in the goalie world right now, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Comrie decides to, to take a wait-and-see approach here. You know, this is the thing. Um, 
I know exactly what you're saying, Mike, and I think we recognize that. I think it's, you know, it was a topic of conversation on our show quite a bit last year. Uh, and I'm of the theory that it, this is, people know about my theory about, you know, year after year. I think if you keep playing goaltender too many games, 70 games, I think it's too much. I think Marty Broder is the only goalie that's ever been able to do it and stay right. con- consistent throughout his career. I just don't know that the Jets buy that. And I think that the, the, the perfect proof of that is up until last year, Comrie was phenomenal. And what was like, quite simply, the Jets were in any race down the stretch because how well he did when he was spelling off Connor Hellebuck. And yet they just wouldn't play him. So a couple things. One, I, I wonder if the negotiation that the Jets are having with uh, um with Eric Comrie is basically based on the fact that it's like, hey, you only played this many games last year. How much do you really expect to be paid, right? So I I wonder how much that has to do with it. But two, I wonder if maybe part of their negotiations is that they just wouldn't turn to burden and think, okay, well, we can just ride the heck out of hell because that's what we did last year when we had a capable backup. You know, maybe we don't necessarily need that. I don't know. To, To your point, I know they don't want to spend on that position, but but I guess the question is: Do you yeah. think that they'd be willing to just fall back on Burden if if they lost out on the Carmi sweepstakes? Well, and I don't want this to be taken as as me being negative on Mikel Burden because I love the personality. I love a lot of things about Mikel Burden. I personally don't. I think he has a lot of work to, to still do in order to be an NHL backup. I, I just think his style of play. And I'm not saying he needs to change it completely. I think he needs to be reined in a little bit. And some of the, I mean, we see the highlights of some of the things he does and some of it is miraculous, right? The saves and whatnot. But I think he also is prone to, you know, the kind of blunders that you just can't be making at the professional level. And I don't know if that's ever going to be completely reined in. Um, but I think there's got to be more consistency there than what we've seen uh, as the number one guy, primarily with the Moose. Uh, and so I, I personally, if the Jets have expectations of being a playoff team next year, I would not be hitching my wagon to Mikel Burden as your backup. Um, so, you know, I think that is an area that, that they still are going to have to address. Certainly not the only area of need. Uh, but it is something that, you know, I think they were really comfortable with Eric Comrie. Uh, they might have to get uncomfortable, though, if, if the Comrie situation doesn't play out. Yeah, one other interesting one. I mean, obviously, it would be a, the different tax bracket. Thomas Grace maybe might be a guy that could be on the radar as well. I mean, that would be a comfortability. I think he's also uh, a Ray Petcal client. I think he might work with the group out of Kelowna as well. So, again, I think Eric Comrie is the priority. I just will be interesting to see how things play out. Uh, I agree with you. Here's the biggest issue. The Jets were banking on a long playoff run for the Manitoba Moose, which would have given Mikhail Burden a little bit of that extra high-stakes experience. The fact that they were out in the first round, even though it was a hard-fought series, that hurt the development. I mean, he still had a strong year, but it wasn't as strong as maybe they were expecting. And an additional 10 playoff starts might have helped make them more comfortable with him at that level. Mike, let's shift gears. Obviously, a big day on the Manitoban front. Uh, We know it was a big day in round one. Uh, We'll get back to, I'm going to start in reverse. Uh, Just because you have the connection with Adam Ingram, having coached him, you and I both were involved in the Adam Ingram scrum. Uh, All three of us know his father, Derek Ingram. We know it was a proud moment for for D.I. and Kim and their entire family. Uh, what was it like for you having coached Adam Ingram in minor hockey to see him have that day in the sun to pull on the jersey and to see him beaming from ear to ear at that podium? Yeah, I've known Adam, I think, since he was three because uh, I started coaching his older brother, Brent, when Brent would have been a Timbit uh, and Brent would have been five and Adam would have been three. Adam was was always the little brother who was, you know, always tagging along with his older brother. And and as the kids got a bit older, Adam was the underage player that we'd often call up because, quite frankly, uh, he was better than, than the kids that were two years older than him. Uh, and, you know, Adam had that drive, that determination, that focus. 
And I mean, as you say, we all know Di, just a great human being. The Ingram family, uh, who are longtime, you know, neighbors, grew up in the same neighborhood as as us and our kids. It's just a great moment to, to see, you know, him get to this point, and obviously the National Predators. Uh, selecting Adam in uh, in the fourth round today, real nice moment. The family was all here in Montreal, and uh, uh, just real proud uh, for them, and and excited for this next uh, step in Adam's career. And you know, uh, Reg Duzer says unheralded draft. Yeah, well, luckily, luckily I didn't cause I didn't cause enough damage to sidetrack uh, Adam's NHL ambitions. Um, you know, as for Manitobans, just a great draft. Like three guys in the first round yesterday. Uh, I think that's the first time in 50 years that that many Manitobans have gone in the first round. I believe there were eight in total, plus a couple um, other players with the Winnipeg Ice who are from other provinces. But that's a lot of players, guys, with local connections, local flavor. And it certainly speaks well to Manitoba um, and, and the hockey community. I think there's been some lean years, right, when it comes to the number of players. And so it's good to have a year like this that reminds you that, hey, Manitoba is still a pretty good province when it comes to producing elite athletes and elite hockey players. Ken, uh, I want you to take uh, Connor Geeky because I know that, uh, you know, the, the interesting part about this is when you come down here, you have access to a lot of different scouting services that come to town. You know, we go to these events or social events and you get to talk to different people. Uh, and I know that you heard certain things about Connor Geeky that just like you, they were, they were wake up moments for you <laughs> when you heard about, we had a conversation about that, but just your take on where he went. Uh, in the draft and and the idea that some people didn't have him uh, as highly touted as he ended up being. Yeah, super interesting. And I mean, Mike and I were both speaking with him a couple days earlier at the prospect event. I mean, this is a guy who is an engaging personality. He has his own bloodlines, but this is a, this is a damn good hockey player. I mean, does he need to work in his skating? Sure. But much like McGroarty, Connor Geeky, when I asked him about what it was like to have to, you know, you spend your whole life being told how great you are as a hockey player. Now, all of a sudden, in the month leading up to the draft, all you hear about are your own warts. I love the fact that he said, I need to work on my skating. But guess what? I can do a lot of things really well. And Sean, we're lucky. And Mike was there too. We saw live viewings at the highest level for the Winnipeg Ice this year. We saw Connor Geeky. And the one day we saw the behind the scenes with Connor Geeky when the, the the thing happened and he had to help the when the table fell out from underneath and people he was going on the one of the biggest games of playoff game this guy's trying to look out for others so incredibly high character person from a high character family but this is a high end talent that, so to me the fact that some of the projections were saying Connor Geeky could be in the 20s or late in the first round was absurd that it uh, was a total wake-up moment now again having said that i thought he might be there at 14 for the jets but to me arizona that this to me has the potential to be uh, one of the best steals of the draft at 12 Uh, does he still need to progress of course but the winnipeg ice are going to be a great hockey team next year and they're going to be a great hockey team because of matthew savoy and connor geeky who went side by each i think it's a great fit for both players uh it's great for the geeky family and you know what after being told you might drop i mean mike we saw it he said i don't care if i'm in the first round or the seventh round this guy all he wants to do is play in the nhl so right. to me the fact he's going to a situation where they're rebuilding connor geeky's going to be a big big part of the arizona coyotes rebuild for me and you know what good for him yeah so you know Sorry, go Sean, on, you just on. said you said earlier about Rutger McGroarty that you think that's the kind of player the Jets targeted. I agree with you 100%, and that's why we'll never know the answer to this probably, but I do wonder, I mean, I, I got to think if Connor Geeky was available at 14, the Jets were taking him. They get a guy with, you know, some similar attributes in Rutger McGroarty, uh, the size and, and the physicality and, and whatnot that go into the dirty areas, because I, I think you're right. The Jets needed a player like that. Good for him to go to the desert. Um, you know, would have been nice, obviously, just for the local story to have uh, to have uh, a guy like Geeky. By the way, someone asked about Mikey Milne. Mikey Milne did get drafted. He went yeah. in the third round uh, Minnesota. to Minnesota Wild. So yeah. um, uh, 
uh, not good too pick. far down the road. Yeah. Good pick, eh? Yeah. Uh, really good pick. Um, you know, so it's interesting you you were bringing that up. Uh, I so I mean, just what I heard, but I do think that the I, I've seen in the past. I, the Jets clearly don't draft a lot of Manitobans. No, clearly this was a year a banner year for Manitoba hockey. Um, I think this would have been the year that that did happen if either of those two players had fallen to the Jets. And I do think that there was surprise at that table when those two players went back to back the way they did. I think the Jets thought they were going to get that. It's interesting. I want to go through that. If you've been listening to this show, you've been, you'll go on, Ken. I want to turn it to you because this is, I think the other option for the Jets would have potentially been in on Denton Matejchuk as well, Sean, yes. and you had viewings on him that I didn't have. Um, what was it like to see, for you to see where he went in this draft, given your live viewings, where on one of the nights he outshone both of the Winnipeg Ice players in that one game that you called on the color with uh, Brian Munns? Well, I can tell you right now, if you've been listening to this show, you've been hearing me talk about, uh, like, Denton Matejchuk, I thought, was going to be a guy who was going to get picked in a certain spot and was going to show better than a lot of the guys ahead of him. That still may be the case. I don't know that I expected him to go as high as he did. It was interesting you got here, Nate. He was somewhat, I, I was told, a bit of a polarizing player. There was some people that had him as high as 11. And what did he go, 12 guys? I think he goes... Yeah, yeah, he 12 to 12. Columbus, yeah. So so there you go. There was there were some teams that had him ranked as high as 11 and then there were other teams that that I was told wouldn't touch him. And he was definitely on the outside of the first round. To me, that was crazy. I mean, and you brought it up. Can I, I got called in on an emergency basis to do a Winnipeg ice game in the playoffs when they were playing the Moose Jaw Warriors. And Denton Matejchuk, I mean, as good as Matt Savoy is, as good as Connor Geeky is, as good as a number of the guys who are already drafted on that team for the Winnipeg Ice are, uh, including Carson Lambos, who is playing defense on the other side, and I'm very confident is going to be playing at some point for the Minnesota Wild and be a good defenseman for them. He's, you know, a year older, or is he two years older than Denton Matejchuk? Denton Matejchuk, on that night, and they lost, it was their last game of the season, Denton Matejchuk, to me, was hands down the best player on the ice. Now, one of the things that, that you know, scouts were concerned about him is, you know, he's a, he can be a little mistake prone. We saw that that night. I saw Matthew Savoy uh, strip the puck from him. It ended up being a goal in the other net. But what I loved about seeing that moment where he made that mistake is I wanted to see in a playoff environment how he responded after that. Did he get tight? Was he scared to try things? Didn't happen at all. This is a guy who's got an insane hockey IQ. He's somehow able to be the guy who busts the puck out of his own zone. So he's a great first pass guy or he's a great guy to skate the puck out of the zone. But somehow he ends up being the first pass guy and then the next pass ends up being to Denton Matejchuk who is able to get down the ice effortlessly and then join in on the rush. He skates through traffic in a manner that it's like this guy could skate through a, a dense forest and not break stride at all inside and out. He's got a nose around the net. He's one of these defensemen that's able to, from the point, walk the line and kind of get the opposition to move around. I think this guy is an absolute stud. And just for me, I, I, I was thinking when I saw that and I saw him play, I was like, why do I keep thinking that he's he's ranked so low? And I talked to Sammy. I talked to Sammy Cosentino after that. And I said to him, look, I just did this game. He was the most impressive guy on the ice. Sammy ended up having him where Sammy thought he should be ranked right near where he went. Clearly, uh, you know, he interested some people. But this is a, a phenomenal story. I don't think years ago uh, when he was playing AAA that people looked at him and thought this guy's a future number one overall pick. This is a guy who's got better and better and better as it's gone along. So if we're talking about these guys, and we should talk about Pittsburgh's pick. Either of you yeah. can jump on that next because Pittsburgh is ecstatic and ecstatic uh, with what they're getting out of St. Adolph, Manitoba. Let's go there. Either of you guys can jump on that. Yeah, I'll just go quickly. I mean, Pickering's a guy, another one of those great risers. I mean, he's a guy that had a great year, just exploded out of the rocket ship, right? So, and also, too, from his interviews, he's a guy who made an immediate impact. Great personality, really good skater, uh, going to grow into his body and really, like, Pitt, he's a kind of prototypical Pittsburgh kind of guy. So I think he fits really well there, and he's going to be another guy. I think teams are going to, the Penguins are going to be thrilled by what they got. Uh, Mike, we were talking about this, too. I mean, 
he was a guy too in, in a different situation in another year that's a guy that maybe would have been potentially picked at 14 as well uh, what are your thoughts on that yeah for sure and he's uh you know again it just speaks so well and i'm sure folks with you know hockey manitoba must just be thrilled with uh, with what what's gone down here in montreal and they can use this now as kind of a template i guess for years going forward um we could probably do a deep dive into why was this draft class so special for Manitobans? What was it about this age? Is it just fluke coincidence? Was there something specifically that happened? Uh, but if there is something that could be identified, you'd probably want to bottle that up and uh, and capture it for the future. By the way, guys, just quickly, can I talk? Can I just mention another Manitoban? Nothing to do with hockey, though. Aaron Cockrell of Manitoba. He just birdied the 15th hole, guys. He's eight under on his round today. This is the second ever PGA Tour event for the Pride of Stony Mountain. Aaron Cockrell has shot. He had a 29 on the front. Incredible. He's eight under. He's got a couple holes left. He's nine under on the tournament. And, in fact, he's right now tied for sixth at the Barbasol down in Kentucky. Uh, we know uh, Aaron quite well. I spent a couple of weeks following him in Germany and at the Canadian Open last month. Uh, great human being, and uh, what a story he's uh, in the early stages of writing. So that's a, there's another Manitoban to keep an eye on here. Um, before we do shut this down here, I thought we should, because we haven't really talked about the Slavkovsky going first overall, we should kind of explain that because this was one of these situations where, um, as we were talking, we're, we got to get out of here soon, guys. But we, when we were talking uh, uh, to some of the scouts heading into it, it started to look more and more and more like Slavkovsky was going to go first overall right. from the conversations I'd been having. Now, the interesting part about that was, and I can tell you exactly what happened yeah. with those first four picks, because I, I basically, I turned to my producer afterwards and I said, after that happened, I was like, Shane Wright's going to drop down to fourth. And so this is why, this is what happened. It was, it was a Slavkovsky-Shane Wright pick here. What we knew about the New Jersey Devils is the New Jersey Devils wanted Slavkovsky or Bust. They weren't interested in Logan Cooley. They weren't interested in Shane Wright. What they were most likely interested in was hoping that the Canadians would take Shane Wright. Then they'd get Slavkovsky. But the next thing was to trade the pick. And I thought that the Canadians maybe, just maybe, were trying to get both. And that they picked Slavkovsky first, knowing that that would potentially put the jerseys pick into play. And they may just be able to swing like a Josh Anderson trade or something like that yeah. and try and get both those players. Now, it didn't happen. New Jersey didn't get what they wanted, so they, they took Namich which again you know goes counter to but it was interesting because once Namich went I knew it was going to play out the way it did because the information I'd heard after that was that Arizona had they finished first would have taken Logan Cooley they they got their number one draft board player they had him ahead of Slavkovsky and Wright and so at that point Wright drops all the way to fourth but I gotta say guys how fun was it in this building when that was going on it was like like I felt like it was the WWE it was like a wrestling event people were going nuts every time you know like the, the, this place popped you could see Slavkovsky's face when he got picked like it was almost like he couldn't believe that it had happened and then he's like a big guy so the swagger down to the stage yeah. and all that kind of stuff happening the pop in the crowd when 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 the the the, uh, the trades were announced right after that uh, the Kirby Doc trade because I think what the Canadians crowd thought was happening is that the Canadians did pull off the trade that was going to get them the right. next pick and going to get them Shane Wright clearly didn't happen but boy oh boy phenomenal weekend it was fun to be in this building yeah. this right here should be the template of how they handle drafts going forward because what a host city what a crowd this was fun this was fun I uh, I suspect if, if members of the media made a motion to have all drafts <laughs> in Montreal <laughs> Uh, that it would almost be accepted unanimously. Uh, but you're right, the atmosphere, the fans in Montreal, uh, they're tremendous. There was just that energy, uh, first draft person now in three years. Obviously having the number one pick um, was was a big deal. And I was a little worried about Slaskowski. I, I had been outside the rink when they did the red carpet. Um, and Shane, there were chants for right. They were ole, ole, ole and then when they introduced him the crowd went nuts this is outside the ring 
when they introduced Sustowski, there was like crickets. And I thought if they don't pick right number one, I was worried the kid might get booed. And credit to the crowd, I think there was that initial like gasp, but then they quickly warmed up. Oh, yeah. He had them eating out of the palm of his hand within an hour. And you're right about the wrestling analogy, Sean. Like, he walked through the crowd a little later. He's high-fiving. There was that feel. And kind of fitting, guys, that Kevin Owens of the WWE, who's from Quebec, he was in the building today. He actually uh, video-bombed Bruce Boudreaux. (laughs) Yes. That was a great moment if you've seen the clip on on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, But there was that feel to this whole event. And I've only covered three drafts personally, Dallas, Vancouver, Montreal. Uh, This blew the other two away. And this is right up there with any sporting event just for the atmosphere. It was great. Yeah, I just want to touch on the other thing, uh, too. The start of the draft was incredibly special. We know it was a tough year for the province of Quebec with the passing of Guy Lafleur and Mike Bossy, right. and I thought those guys absolutely hit it out of the park with the with the recognition to the families, having people on site. Place was going bananas. Marty St. Louis had the crowd eating out of his hand uh, with his speech about this is only the, oh, guess what? The undrafted guy who is a Hall of Famer Oh, guess what? Today is only the beginning. Uh, the fact that he had to wait on stage uh, as the crowd sang Olay for him and yeah. just the way that let's go Canadians and the place went absolutely bananas. Uh, I thought that was absolutely tremendous. And Mike, you're right. I mean, that uh, that, that scene with Slavkowski unfolded just directly to the right of us yeah. on the risers. It was like the Pied Piper going through the crowd. Uh, it was like, you know, playing Hulk... Hulk Hogan's music is playing as he's going down, high-fiving people. Uh, he right. goes up to the studio. Uh, the place just went absolutely bonkers. Uh, I thought it was just absolutely fabulous wow. from start to finish. And let me say... And Batman. How about the way Batman handled I was, things as well? I was well. just going to say, every wrestling promotion needs the <laughs> villain. Nobody plays the role and seems to relish the role. Gary Batman was in full heel mode here. You're losing your enthusiasm, Mike. You're losing your enthusiasm. He knows how to poke the bear and pour the gasoline on the fire. It's tremendous. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great stuff. Phenomenal stuff. Uh, Mikey, really appreciate your insight. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we should probably all get together and share some dinner here tonight or last night in town before you hop on your planes, trains, and automobile trip home to both of you. Ken, you got something to say? Just quick one. I know that we've had a couple of pop-ups that were kind of last minute. We're going to do our free agency preview on Monday at 3 p.m. coming out of Winnipeg Sports Talk. That'll be the fourth of our five-show block. So, folks, Thanks for joining us for what you've seen so far. If you haven't checked out Rick Bonus, uh, he was with us for an extended period of time this, earlier this week. Uh, you can check that out on our YouTube channel. Uh, and then maybe too, Sean, I know you're probably going to do it anyway, but let's thank our sponsors one more time for help making this happen in person because uh, this has just been a fabulous few days and a week for us. Well, for sure, to the Johnson Group and to Cambrian Credit Union, we say it uh, and we mean it. If you enjoy being able to have these conversations the way we do in this format, it's businesses like those that are investing in these conversations, and it means a ton to us that they are doing just that. Uh, guys, again, thank you so much. Let's uh, let's have a fun night here in Montreal before we wrap it up and head home. And we should also say, Ken, we're going to be doing a post-free agency show. Yep. And as of right now, Kevin Cheveldayoff is slated to join us for that show on Kenny and Rennie. Uh, so pay attention for that. Thank you for joining us, everybody. We re- really appreciate you checking in. Thank you, of course, to Winnipeg Sports Talk for sending their audience our way, as they always do, and being uh, supporting us through this as we support them. Uh, we will catch up with everyone on our pre-free agency show. Until then, enjoy yourselves. <laughs>